This episode is brought to you by Triggered 22 LLC, a veteran-owned apparel company. By purchasing a t-shirt, hat, or hoodie from Triggered 22, you're not only supporting a small business, but you're bringing awareness to veteran PTSD and suicide. Please help save the lives of those who fought for our freedoms. Visit Triggered22.com now and place your order. Let's help those suffering from invisible wounds. The firearms community is a protective factor. It's not a risk factor. Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Now, turn up your volume and settle in for a great episode. Hi, I'm Austin Sullivan. This is the American Grown Podcast, recorded inside the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Today, we have Sarah Albrecht. She is the founder and executive director of Hold My Guns, a 501c3 nonprofit. Sarah, welcome to episode 55 of the American Grown Podcast. Thanks, Austin. Welcome. So glad you could join me. It's been a little while trying to get us scheduled in here. It has, but it's worth it. And what's really cool is that you're in Pennsylvania too. Let's get some background on yourself. Where were you born and raised? Family as in-depth as you'd like to go. Well, let's see. Where was I born? I was born in Pennsylvania, kind of like in the um, mainline area towards Philadelphia. And um, I'm 43. Uh, I'm a mom of five and my kids are actually ages 22 down to 17. They grew up around firearms. I'm a range safety officer as well. And so we have had shooting sports as a big part of our lives. And I got into being a range safety officer because I realized that although there were wonderful gentlemen that were fulfilling that role at at our local gun club, that there weren't a lot of ladies and yet there were a lot of young girls who were shooting. And so with my two daughters um, shooting, I, I wanted to have... A woman there on the line like yeah. you know it's like okay well let's adjust you know how you're holding this firearm or whatever or if they're in a prone position on the ground I just felt that it was more comfortable to have a woman present if not the one helping to adjust you know a stance or something like that and that's how I got into it and what was really cool is that we were able to just bring on you know new shooters a lot of young girls and I really enjoyed that and sadly we moved out to um like the Lancaster area. So the Aglen Sportsman's Club, which is where I was for a really long time, yeah. uh, is a little bit far for us now. So I can't commit to going there regularly, but I mm-hmm. do maintain my credentials as a range safety officer. And I would just encourage any parent out there that getting involved with youth shooting sports is a great way to teach kids about personal responsibility, firearm safety, and also it helps to foster concentration and good situational awareness skills. And there were a lot of kids that would struggle with just being kind of antsy and, you know, unfocused and things like that. And, and unlike in group sports where they're competing against other people, when they're competing against themselves and improving and observing their own personal scores, it does so much to help build character for kids. So I really enjoy that. And I hope it encourages other parents to get involved with shooting sports, we have many great clubs that are local to us. I love that Pennsylvania is a place where we have um, 
care about the Second Amendment and also hunting. It's like oh, the yeah, cusp of hunting huge, season. Especially here in PA. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's so important that parents educate their children because children are going to learn about firearms from other people that it might be inaccurate. And so as parents, we have, I think, responsibility to teach our kids about safety. Yeah. So a little bit more about me. My dad is a Vietnam veteran. He served in the Marine Corps. And so I have a heart for helping veterans and a lot of the organizations that we work with and that recommend us also are veterans organizations. And it's so important to me that we always treat veterans, especially with dignity and respect. And a lot of the work we do is in suicide prevention. And I always like to say that the best suicide prevention is treating veterans with respect because if they know that they can trust the services that are being provided, they're more likely to use them and know that they're loved. So that's super important to me. And what else? I've been married for uh, 24 years to my husband, oh, Tom. congrats. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we were both homeschooled. So that's kind of interesting. I think it has really contributed to having outside of the box thinking and just seeing how education is not limited to a classroom, but that you can learn from whatever environment you're in. And I've really brought that to Hold My Guns as an organization, just showing how these uh, values really apply to all of aspects of life. And I agree with you that uh, I feel like education is so important for firearms. And the younger you learn something, I think the more, you know, you respect it. Plus, back in the day, too, kids, especially in PA, would bring the firearms in their trucks to school, especially Mm -hmm. on hunting season, because, like you said, it's so popular. I mean, it's a way of life here in PA. For a lot of people, you know, for sure. So I feel like as we got away from the educating at a younger age and getting people involved with firearms at a younger age and again that education proper way you're not just going not just going out back and you know having fun but learning in an environment that is productive and safe i feel like is something that needs to come back i feel like you know the respect of of a firearm it's not a toy like for example when i when i first got my firearm i went with a good friend dylan yeager shout him out he's a listener of the podcast but just a, a great guy and he's Grown up, uh, up north, big hunter, his whole family. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not so much because I, my family, we didn't, we didn't hunt. You know, we just didn't do it. Nothing against it, but we never did. But he was, and then he married my wife's best friend. So that's how I got to meet him. It's like a small world. When he first took me to the range, nine one one rapid response over in Cleona, he said, you know, and again, walked me through everything. You know, firearm wasn't even loaded, but just the step by step process of how things work. You know, we clean the guns beforehand, clean them after. So you learn to, like I said, respect it because it's a way to, in my opinion, I feel like immediately distressed, but I immediately appreciated and realized the power, right? Mm-hmm. And the capability of this firearm in, in your hand. Now, again, with the safety on, it's not loaded. You know, it, it, it can't do anything. It's, it's the individual behind it that then, uh, and what they decide to do with it. And I feel like if you're taught at a younger age, you learn that. And that's just kind of my thoughts because again, it was, it was a, an experience that first time. I mean, I remember and I was like, wow. It is so much fun because yes. it helps again, like even working with youth, it helps kids to concentrate and it helps adults to concentrate too. So if you're, have just had a, a week of trying to concentrate on all of these spinning plates that are going on in your life mm-hmm. and you just want to have a moment of quiet and go shoot at the range and 
do something for yourself, investing in yourself with learning how to be more proficient and to practice target, you know, shooting a target or sporting clays or whatever it might be. It is something that really, I always walk away feeling refreshed and like I've honed in some skills and it just feels really good. And it's also fun to shoot with friends. I love just the camaraderie that we have and the the fun you know competition like how oh, bet i can hit that you know Correct, yeah. it's so much fun and we really have a great firearms community in this area too locally we've got trop gunshot which is amazing yeah i know where you're at <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. they're in elizabethtown pennsylvania they have a great indoor range a great selection and that but they also have um a meeting for a girl and a gun which is a great organization for women where they teach a, about um, firearm safety and proficiency and personal defense, but they also really work on character building and building the community too. So there's just a lot of great resources like that around. And I encourage people to learn more. And the cool thing is what I found in our community is that it's such a welcoming community. I mm-hmm. always say the firearms community is a protective factor. It's not a risk factor. Yes, and yeah. that you know, the first time when you're out in the range, people are so excited to, or even if it's like your hundredth time out in the range, people are excited to say hi and to welcome you and to encourage you in whatever your goals are that evening for shooting. So yeah. it's a great community. And it's it's full of, you know, people who genuinely care about protecting the people around them, protecting themselves. They care about the state of the nation. They care about um, a lot of people are first responders in the firearms community. There are a lot of veterans in the firearms community. And so I just find that it's a group of people who genuinely care about others and who are willing to put their own lives on the line to protect others. So it's great. Some of the other things I wanted to to mention that you had put on the form uh, from your your previous experiences, right before starting Hold My Guns, you were a, a doula mm-hmm. and a childbirth educator for eleven years. Now, episode episode fifty four. It's a small world. I didn't really know what a doula was, and my wife looked at me and was like, "You should know," but I didn't know. Uh, but episode fifty four featured Grant and Nicole uh, Holden, and they literally just launched an app called Dude Doula uh, to better prepare and help husbands and you know with the birthing and the laboring process to be supportive more encouraging and you know proactive and i just was like when i read your bio i was like she's an act she was an actual doula for 11 years so what was what what was that experience like well i loved being a doula and i still if i have a friend that is expecting a baby i always say just give me a call because i would if i can make it i will i taught uh, childbirth education for 11 years and I specifically taught the Bradley method which emphasizes husband coach childbirth that's the name of the the book that they um, it's kind of like the thing that started it all and there was a big shift that happened where it used to be that men were not allowed and husbands weren't allowed in the delivery room and so it was just a very uh, different experience than what we see today women were by themselves laboring without the support of their husband and so dr bradley would sneak husbands in and just say oh, okay well he's just in here for a second and then he would end you know the, the husband or yeah. the, the father of that child would end up staying there for the birth and so his whole approach changed how um men were allowed in the delivery room and he wanted them to be educated so they weren't just standing there and like what do i do but actually had things that they could do to help that woman feel more comfortable and to have Mm -hmm. a better birth experience. 
I also love that that um, approach to childbirth emphasized having good health, it emphasized healthy eating, exercise, getting rest, learning how to relax. And so it's something that it's not just, oh, just sit here and let things happen to you, but it's taking an educated approach to make informed decisions. And my specialty was helping clients that had experienced sexual trauma in the past. And for those who, I don't want to, to, to gross anyone out, and so I'll be careful about what I say, but for someone that has experienced sexual trauma to go through pregnancy and childbirth and even postpartum, it can be very triggering because parts of their body that have in the past been harmed um, are now being utilized for this process. And so it can be a very scary thing or it can be a very healing experience. And so my hope and and my goal in helping my clients was to help them to have an experience that was a healing one and to make sure that they had the right resources throughout the whole process so that they were empowered as a new mom and and could just delight in having a baby. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And man, I've I've been at over 100 births and just really, really? yeah, in hospitals and in birth centers and in home births. So it's just really cool. You never know what, what to expect, but the key is if you can make informed decisions and do your best to try to stay low risk, then the outcome is so much better. Even if you have some complications that come up, the the more that you're prepared ahead of time, the mm-hmm. better you'll be able to handle them. If you could give like one or two tips for uh, a new father or expecting expecting father, um, what would be like for 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 them to be supportive during that uh, laboring process, during the birthing process? Like, what's a tip over you know your hundred plus births? What would you give as a tip? Well, I think kind of knowing yourself and your spouse to like know what your communication style would be and going in and having an agreed upon course of action creating a birth plan that you're both involved with really helps because in the thick of things you might not be able to think clearly about what decisions you want to make so I think working together as a team before the baby arrives, before you even set foot in a delivery room, mm-hmm. can really help to set the tone for the personal preferences. And so, like, for example, if you work together on a playlist of music that's soothing, you know, and you have a plan, I'm just using that as an example, mm-hmm. you know, right. it's like, all right, we're going to, we're in this together, we're a team, we're going to look out for each other's needs. We've got our, our hospital bag pack with our snacks and yep. things oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and looking at it from a team approach really helps for the father to be more involved, which is great for bonding as well. And what I've found is that whenever that child's father is involved in the birth process, they connect with their babies so much faster than um, those who aren't involved. So again, it can be a healing experience and an experience where a couple can grow closer together. And the more that they plan ahead and understand the process and make informed decisions, I think the better experience it's going to be. There may be complications that come up. I've seen some pretty gnarly things happen in delivery rooms. However, if that couple is prepared and they are making decisions based on their values and the resources that they have, and they're not just along for the ride, the outcome is so much better. Yeah. You also had on the forum that and I'd like to get educated on this because I don't know what the letters mean, but QPR, Suicide Prevention Gatekeeper Instructor. Yeah. So, yeah, can you tell us about that? I sure can. And I actually brought a brochure with me today, or this is actually the um, the QPR 
student workbook, and I this is something that I just even keep in okay. my range bag. You know, if you're thinking, oh man, what can I say to this person? I'm drawing a blank. Then you have a resource with you in your range bag or your purse or your backpack or whatever that you can just quick, okay, let me refresh my mind. But what it is, QPR stands for question, persuade, and refer. And it is a method of helping to notice warning signs if you think a person might be in crisis, whether they're in a a suicide crisis or you're just a little bit concerned and you want to learn how to have a respectful conversation and kind of see like, is my hunch right here or does this person just need a little bit of encouragement, but learning how to ask good questions and then persuading someone to seek help who needs help. And again, it's empowering that person to make life-affirming choices. So that's where that persuasion comes in. And R stands for refer. And I love this program because it educates people on how to connect someone with resources instead of setting someone up to be a counselor. And I think that's a fear that a lot of people have is I want to be able to talk to someone, but I'm not a licensed counselor. So I don't know if I'm qualified to do this. And it is a way that you can help someone to connect to appropriate resources, which is great for gun shops too. We don't want the person behind the counter to be a counselor, but we can provide training, which we do for our firearm storage partners, that if they do notice someone is a little bit off, then they can share a resource list with them and they have a little bit of training. So it's also a great tool for people who are firearms instructors or range safety officers to have this credential and add it to their list of certifications. So this is something that I teach as um, with Hold My Guns hosting. We do that kind of as a perk for some of our sponsorship packages, but it's also something that I teach through my personal LLC. And I'm just really passionate about making sure that I take responsibility for the people that are in my circle and to yeah. be able to um, learn how to talk to them in a way that's respectful and uh, observant. And, and, and I, you know, people just like if you, um, I don't know, like if you get a new outfit or a new haircut or a beard trim or something, like mm-hmm. you, you walk in the room, you're like, Hey, I, I feel like oh, I feel, took care of myself. Yeah, I feel, feel good, good, you know? Exactly. And yeah. so we yep. notice when people notice that, but we also notice when people don't notice. And so it's so important that, you know, if we notice that someone is a little bit off and they're they're not behaving to their normal baseline, mm-hmm. that we don't just ignore it, but that we say something and, and in a caring way, knowing that maybe tomorrow we're not going to be doing so great. And we want our friends to be able to look out for us too. So I love teaching QPR and I've been doing that for about two years now. And wow. we've trained, I want to say, over 300 people through Hold My Guns efforts. I teach at a Girl in a Gun National Conference, and we teach at local gun clubs, and also through active self-protection with their instructor cohorts. So it's a great program, and I encourage everyone to check it out. Do you think that with your father being a Vietnam War vet, mm-hmm. do you think that molded you or persuaded you to, to where you are now, your career and choice and, and how you uh, interact with people and how you train and handle yourself so professionally. Absolutely. My dad is one of the biggest influences in my life. His faith is something that really made a difference in my life. He's a very uh, caring person, but he's also someone that is just fierce and unafraid. And 
you know, he's the guy that taught me how to shoot, but also would sing me to sleep at night. And I really appreciate him. I think that what he learned in his experience in Vietnam shaped who he was when he got back. It was a totally different culture when he had left it was very um, just kind of like modest and conservative. And he came back to bell bottoms and platform shoes. And yeah. so yeah. he always tells a story like he couldn't even find shoes that weren't platform shoes. And so he bought some and cut off the bottoms of the bandsaw. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he was like, I'm not Phenomenal. wearing these. Yeah. Right. So I think just a little bit of um, his independent attitude and kind of counterculture mm-hmm. and then also making a choice to homeschool us as kids and teaching us to think outside the box is a huge influence. But my dad was also unemployed for many years. And so as a family growing up, I'm the oldest of six kids. He really taught us a lot about compassion. And, you know, we would, for example, we would be out and about. There was a time that we didn't have a home and we were living with relatives and couch surfing for about a year. But even when we were out and about, he would always look for people who were homeless and he would be like, all right, guys, we have some food. We're going to share some with this person over here. Or um, there's a there's a mission, CityGate mission that's in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. And when we were kids, we used to go and sing there to the guests. And so he was always looking out for people that were in the trenches. And he taught us that you know, we have to be compassionate to everybody. What we have is always a gift and we can share it. So I really appreciate that about my dad and it definitely has shaped who I am today. So you you would say your father is a a mentor of yours? He is. Yeah. And my mom too. My mom's an artist and she's very resilient and, um, and my dad's a woodworker. So also, also kind of an artist. And, um, I just really appreciate my upbringing and their, their heart for making sure that we are educated, you know, Mm -hmm. through homeschooling, raised in the church, and compassionate towards other people. Probably instilled a lot of traditional values in you Mm -hmm. and your your siblings. So how did Hold My Gun start? Whose idea was it? Where'd the logo come from? Let's let's dive into that. Okay. Hold My Guns started out of a tragedy, actually. Like I mentioned, my kids were all in shooting sports Mm -hmm. and grew up around firearms and grew up with a respect for the preservation of rights. And in 2018, one of their friends, a teenage friend took their own life with a firearm. And my kids came to me as well as the kids in that friend circle. And they said, you know, we care about the preservation of rights. We're into shooting sports. We have a respect for firearms, but our friend has died. So how can we help people who might be going through a rough time and, in a way that they can safely remove firearms for their home if they want to do that because, you know, there's a, there's just a, a maybe a need for someone to have distance from lethal means. And, you know, they are talking about it kind of even in the context of, you know, like if a person is going through depression and they're cutting themselves, like we, we would make sure they don't have, you know, sharp objects right. around them. Exactly, and yeah. so I the more I thought about it, I realized that the only things – that were really available were um, like people pushing a legislative approach, which doesn't, which doesn't really create stigma and it doesn't really empower people to want to seek help. I realized that not everyone has friends or family members who can help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and here in Pennsylvania, for example, you have to have a license to carry in order to safe keep someone's pistol to like let someone even like kind of do a transfer of, of the pistol. Like, Hey, hang on to this for me or yeah. Hey, like, you can borrow this while we're at the range together. That person has to have a license to carry a firearm. And not everybody has friends or family members that have a license to carry. 
And even if they do, and even if they have, um, you know, a desire to be helpful, there can be a lot of stigma around that conversation. Like if you're mm-hmm. going through personal things, it might involve your family too. So right, like, right. Yeah, it could. Really kind of, could be kind of awkward. And I realized that we needed to have a professional solution. And so the more I thought about it and prayed about it, like how can we p- help people make life affirming choices or how can we help increase their security? Like whether they're going out of town, like we lived in Japan for two years. So like we had to find a place to store firearms and thankfully had someone in our lives who was licensed to carry. And we were able to, you know, have that resource, but not everybody does. Mm -hmm. Everyone's blessed with that. So I met with, um, Pennsylvania firearms attorney, Joshua Prince, and he's amazing when it comes to, um, practicing constitutional law and understanding the second amendment and the preserve preservation of rights. And I went to him with this idea about partnering with gun shops to provide professional voluntary firearm storage. And the first thing he said to me, Austin yeah. was, are you a gun grabber? And I'm like, no, right, cause that's kind of what yeah. you know, people might think. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so I was like, but I'm really grateful that you're asking this question and you're thinking about it critically and you're not just like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea without trying to think about the logistics of it, you know, mm-hmm. and what is this, what are the implications of it? And I said, I really think that we have a way to, encourage self-governance and create an option for people who might not have another option. And so he's been a wonderful champion for us and is our legal counsel. And I'm really proud of him. So Yeah, shout out to Joshua Prince. Yeah. That's a pretty cool name too. (laughs) It is kind of a cool name, isn't it? And he's just super um professional but has just become a dear friend and, you know, someone that shares values and cares about this mission. So okay. we're really grateful. Yeah. So that's how Hold My Gun started. We're up to eight locations now across the United States. Oh, wow. And we have a ninth location in Pennsylvania that should be onboarding soon, maybe even by the time this podcast comes out. So okay. be on the lookout for that. And you can find the map of our locations at holdmyguns.org and click on the locations tab to find a location. Perfect. Now, I feel like I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't uh, ask Two years in Japan, real quick, what, yeah. for work or family getaway, or like two years in Japan for my husband's job. Okay, yeah, he's, okay, cool. He was Never working been. on a radar yeah. base there, and um, not in the military, but was doing like some technical support type stuff, and it was really cool. It was up in Aomori Prefecture, which is the Japan. Had, it kind of, if you think about it, like. Um, the main island kind of is like a banana shape and Aomori Prefecture is at the very top about as far as you can go up before the next island which is Hokkaido so it was really fun very snowy (laughs) snowy yeah up high high high. yeah okay so we had a lot of ski resorts and stuff that's cool and all the kids were with us so you know it was um from 2008 to 2010 so really great experience yeah all right, so for all the listeners, because I'm sure some of you are wondering, there we go. We found out why Sarah and her family were in uh, in Japan. Now you have a ninth location possibly opening up. Are they all in PA, all on the East Coast, or are they all throughout the country? They're spread out throughout the country. Our farthest location is in Washington State, but we're also oh, wow. in Wyoming and Georgia, Massachusetts, Missouri, Arizona, Pennsylvania. Um, I feel like I'm missing a few. I'm trying to visualize the map, but they're absolutely wonderful individuals that you know again they're they're licensed firearms professionals they have legit gun shops and it's just a really cool way that they're using their resources to help people in need it's really cool through instagram is how we connected and that's kind of what drew me in i thought okay what's 
you know, what's hold my guns? What is that? You know, is it the gun grab kind of thing? Because I want to educate myself. Because you're right, there really isn't anything that I know of that is similar to what you all do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you think right away, okay, this organization might be trying to take my farms, but no, it's trying to, you know, securely hold them to store them while you're in a time of crisis or in a time of doubt or time of need. Maybe you're leaving the country for some time. Like you said, you know, luckily you had a maybe friend or family member that could hold your firearms while you're in Japan for two years, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have that. So I feel like it's a a great cause and something that is, is needed. I don't, I didn't look up and maybe, you know, the number of people that own firearms throughout the country. I don't know how many people own firearms, but I want to say it's over 40% of American households have a firearm, at least one. And, you know, it's always important, too, to look at things like, you know, when we look at statistics, we look at, you know, the number of uh, suicides each year. It's a, it's about maybe 43,000. There's new numbers coming out post-COVID that I'm not, I haven't memorized mm-hmm. yet. Um, they, they did increase a little bit, but the majority of, fun, of firearms-related deaths are suicides, which is important to know. But we also can't just get fixated on that because it's important to know that there are um, over a million defensive gun uses each year. And there was recently a study that happened at, I believe it was Georgetown University, where they had a great survey. It was a scientific survey about defensive gun uses. And the cool thing is that many times those defensive gun uses, a shot isn't even fired, but it's yeah. simply showing like, you know, I have a firearm. You probably don't want to do this. Right. And the criminal runs away. It's important to know that, you know, when we're talking about statistics that we always keep defensive gun uses in mind and thinking about it from a personal defense standpoint, which is why we carry firearms in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And why it's so important that in this uh, conversation about personal safety, that we always look to preserve rights. Because at the end of the day, there's so many more, you know, over a million right. <laughs> defensive gun it's, uses. It's more positive uses and, and positive yes. outcomes than there are negative. But that's not what makes the news all the time. You know, you don't always right. hear about the positives or the life saving that a firearm has done. I know it sounds a contradiction, you know, a, a firearm saving a life, but it does. It prevents bad people from doing bad things. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, it's it's not something we always think about, but guns save lives. And that's why it's so important that when we are looking for solutions, we look for non-legislative ones and we look for ones that actually encourage people to make good choices. So now what is the mission of Hold My Guns? In a nutshell, we say that the mission of Hold My Guns is to provide voluntary firearm storage during times of personal need. And we just use that kind of as a a blanket term because need can mean so many different things, whether someone's going into a shelter or they're providing housing for a foster child, you know, in those situations, if if there's a child who's really at risk, a lot of times that social worker is going to actually go in the home and make sure that there's no firearms there that that child would have access to. People use it if they're being deployed or they're going on vacation. If they're going to be away and they know that their teenagers are probably going to have a house party, they want to make sure someone doesn't have access. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. So people also use it when they're moving and they, you know, again, they're practicing self-governance. They don't want for there to be firearms in their car, in the parking lot of a hotel. You know, maybe it sometimes it takes a couple of days to settle at one house and then, you know, 
go through that settlement process for your new place. Um, the other cool thing is because we're partnering with FFLs, you can ship from one federal firearms licensee to another. So like if you're going to be moving across country, you can bring your firearms to one of our locations and then ship it to another location. Uh, I was going to ask FFL. about that. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of options. It's also important to know that, you know, if a person is concerned about, um, cause you do have to do a, a transfer and a background check it's you're working we have to work in compliance with the law but there are other options even with that if someone wants to store like an upper of a firearm or a barrel or a firing pin something that's a non-serialized part or even an accessory like the keys to a gun lock depending on what that gun owner's needs are those might be a great option as well i never even thought about that so not necessarily the firearm or the firearm completed but the different parts of it or even just the keys to Mm -hmm. to their safe Right. And even yeah. though you can, or it's safe or a gun lock, right? And so, you know, even though a, a cable lock is easily defeated, mm-hmm. just simply storing the keys helps to create accountability and it creates a pause if someone were um, c- contemplating taking their own life. So it is an option that we encourage people to think through, like, you know, mm-hmm. what's your scenario? What options work best for you? And we encourage people to take personal responsibility. So now if our listeners would ever feel it necessary to secure their firearms with you, uh, what is that process like and and how can they get on board and and use your services? The easiest thing to do is to go to the website, holdmyguns.org, and find a location near you. If you ever are in a situation where there's not a location near you, we we are pretty well connected in the community and we can try to find other resources for storage. They would make an appointment. They would let the partnering gun shop know like I have X number of firearms and you know I'd like to come in and use the whole my gun service so the firearms because again you're working in a regulated space and we had to take this into consideration if they're doing what's called a, a custodial storage then they the gun shop is taking temporary possession of the firearms but the ownership still remains with the owner of the firearm so when they're in the when the firearm is in the possession of the gun shop, they have to put it in their inventory logbook. It's called the acquisition and disposition record. And that information records make, model, and serial number of the firearm, as well as the owner's contact information. Mm-hmm. We never ask at the at the storage partners, they never ask why the firearm is being stored, which is really important. That information is not asked and it's not written down. You know, obviously, if a person's like, I'm going to be deployed for a year and they share that, (laughs) then it might adjust, it might adjust a contract to say like, okay, well, um, you might prepay this amount and we'll see you in a year, Mm -hmm. you know, best wishes. Right, right. (laughs) Right. So that can be adjustable. Um, But communicating the needs or, you know, um, if they're bringing in a key or something like that, it's a little bit different because you don't, they're not necessarily putting in a logbook, but they are safekeeping it. They're, the customer has a contract they fill out that attests that they're using the service for lawful purposes, that they are the owner of the firearm, and that they're lawfully able to possess that firearm. They're not a prohibited person. And when that gun owner wants to pick up their firearms, mm-hmm. then they would call up the shop and say, hey, I'd like to make an appointment to pick them up. And they fill out the background check form. Um, It's the 4473 form, which is a standard firearms transfer form. And there's a new word for it. It's like revised firearms transfer form or something like that that's changing like right now. Um, But this is is the same form. It's just updated. 
and they would fill that out and pass a background check to attest that they are not prohibited, and that helps to protect the FFL from liability as well. So it helps to keep people from, for example, stealing firearms and stashing them, or you know, if they have a court order against them that they're yeah. a prohibited person, that they're not picking up the firearms and then creating liability for the gun shop. So um, we have to always be mindful about compliance. There's, um, if there is a waiting period in the state, for example, Washington State, and I believe Massachusetts does as well, then there that should be taken into consideration. And that is everything that uh, is regarding the law for firearms transfer always put into the contracts that there's transparency. There's also a type of storage called a locker service. And in that case, the gun shop does not have access to that box. It's just like if you're renting a public storage unit, you have the key to it. And we work with locker services so long as they're part of an FFL, if they're under that umbrella. And that way, if something happens, that they have the ability to transfer the firearms to a lawful third party oh, wow. versus just having to like give them over to law enforcement. Yeah. And the other benefit of that is that the if the customer decides, you know, hey, I don't think I want to own firearms anymore for whatever reason, or because people's life changes, or or oh, maybe yeah. like the yeah. gun owner dies, and then the family's like, okay, they never had firearms before, maybe or something. Right. Yeah, and we've yeah. had situations like that. Well, if you're working with an FFL, then they can facilitate the lawful transfer to a non-prohibited third party, or yeah. or sell it as a consignment. So there's a lot of options there. Mm -hmm. And again, we encourage people to take stock of their personal situation and make choices that work best for yeah. them. Now, uh, being a 501c3 nonprofit, if somebody wanted to to make a donation, how does that work? Because I imagine, you know, being a nonprofit, you have a lot of events and, and different things you do to raise money and raise funds. Yes. So if you want to donate to Hold My Guns, you can do that at holdmyguns.org and click the donate button. You can also go through the link in our bio, Hold My Guns Org, on our social media. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram. So oh, everything. You <laughs> lots got it all of ways covered. to yeah, lots of ways to find us. Yeah. But if you go to that that link tree in the bio, there is a spot on there to donate. And we're just really grateful because it's a way that people can take leadership to promote this option that supports gun owners. And we really see our our donors as part of our community that cares. It's a way that they can help out. So, yeah. What can people do to plan ahead if a crisis were to, to hit? So this could mean like uh, internally or just, uh, you know, like what are some steps people can do to, to kind of prepare themselves or, their, or even their family? Mm -hmm. Something that we really advocate for is having a personal safety plan and you can find that in that same link tree that's in the bio for our social really? media. You already yeah. have that in there. We oh, do. That's perfect. Yeah. It's like you, you so, knew I was going to ask that question. Yeah. Well, I didn't, but that's right. really cool. And it yeah. actually, the reason why we have a personal safety plan is because I was a doula for 11 years and we, mm -hmm. you know, part of that role was helping people to have a birth plan and a postpartum plan. And in that postpartum plan, especially if someone had a lot of risk factors for postpartum depression, they were making sure that just like taking care of their body throughout pregnancy, that postpartum, they were staying hydrated, they were getting sleep, yes, they had yeah. um, someone to come and watch the baby if they needed to take a break versus getting overwhelmed. Like all of those things were in this personal safety plan. And so what I realized was that there's a lot of focus on in the firearms community on personal safety from a what do I do if there's a bad guy in the parking lot? 
perspective, mm-hmm. defensive situation. But again, the majority of firearms-related deaths are suicides. And so in that situation, um, you know, that tells us that we have to be careful about the threats from within as well. And simple things like sleep deprivation or yeah. risk factors like losing a job or uh, losing a loved one, you know, someone passing yes. away, um, all of these things can come into play and affect our perspective and our mental health and what we want to do is come from a position of mental strength. And so by having a personal safety plan, we include in there, um, these are the trusted resources who might have. These are my, here's my battle buddy, here's my pastor, my counselor, yes. my um, my preferred physician, my preferred um, mental health professional, um, and having those resources predetermined and then also having a plan for firearms and other lethal means means that that gun owner is in the driver's seat and they're not along for the ride. So many times if you just show up, just like if you're having a baby and you just show up and you don't know what you want, Mm -hmm. then you're just kind of at the whim of whoever's on call. And so if someone goes into the ER, which is a a good place to be if you're in a suicide crisis, right? For sure. And you say, I'm here, but I'm doing this voluntarily. Here is a list of my resources I want to involve so I can have consistency and congruency of care here. Um, I want to make sure that my medical records are transferred. We're not doing anything that would undermine the work I've already been doing. Um, that means that that person has personal agency. And so whenever we talk about having self-governance, part of being able to do that well is to know what you want and know what your resources are and to have the tools to advocate for yourself. And if you're in a crisis, whether it's mental health or a medical crisis and you can't really advocate for yourself, if you have a personal safety plan, then you can communicate even just by showing a piece of paper that these are my wishes and you have personal agency. Now, what would you say you're most passionate about? <laughs> um, well, I'm a passionate person in general, like everything. You know, I, I really appreciate the beauty of life. And as a yeah. mom of five kids, I have to say I used to be a really stoic person that was kind of selfish and I looked out for myself and, you know, to have more kids than hands, <laughs> like right. by five, it's, uh, I mean, you have two hands, but, you know, you just, you learn how to really care about other people in a different way and it and it brings out the nuances of life. I'll never forget when um, my son started talking, my, my son who's now 22, we were driving um, to my mother-in-law's house and she was babysitting him and he's wearing a little brown corduroy hat or coat and a little red hat and he had his little pacifier in his mouth and it was one of those days where he had like boogers all over the place oh yeah i know how that is little Uh kids do they have short little noses and they're just constantly a snot mess (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so we're like driving by this farm that i had driven by forever and his little feet were like kicking and i'm like what's going on back there and he like throws his pacifier and he's like chocolate milk cows chocolate milk cows and i'm like oh my gosh and i (laughs) i was just it did something to my heart and i stopped the car i like in that moment i didn't even think about i'm gonna be late for work you know yeah and i remember i was wearing a suit and i had on high heels and i got out of the car pulled over the side of the road and my heels just like sunk in the mud i'm like I don't care. We're doing this. Yeah. And I just like scooped him up out of his car seat and we just stood there and looked at these cows. And I realized like, I don't want to live life missing out on the beauty of cows and yeah. <laughs> and appreciating like, where does chocolate milk come from? And so I just stood there and it really 
that moment changed me as a person. I was going to say, so those little so, moments that sometimes mean moments. so much. Yeah. 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 And so I think what am I most passionate about is just the gift of life and that we need to appreciate it and protect it and understand and not take it for granted. And so I, I think that that is something that kind of is a value that governs who I am as a mom and a wife and running the nonprofit, helping people in childbirth um, that I want for people to just appreciate the journey. Yeah, it's like a theme throughout your your life, you know. It is. Yeah, for sure. Now, what are the items that you brought with us today? Tell us a little bit uh, about them. And there'll cool. be photos up on American Grown Podcast, Facebook, and Instagram. Nice. So the, f- the first thing I brought is the, the QPR student handbook. And again, you can, it's so handy. You can fit it in your pocket or your it bag. It's a nice size, yeah. Yeah, so I, I love that. I did bring... Um, just the hold my guns brochure, which I really, I'm grateful. This was um, riot marketing out of Philadelphia area that did this for us. Okay. And we wanted it to really convey the message that it was for gun owners by gun owners that were not gun grabbers. Right. And so something that I'm really proud of with this brochure is that the people that are in these pictures, which are like friends of friends, that they're practicing safe uh, handling of firearms. You'll notice that no one's fingers on a trigger. The firearms are pointed in the safe direction. People are smiling. Yes. They're using the buddy system while they're shooting. So this is there's a lot of thought and purpose that is subtle, even in the messaging mm-hmm. that we want to encourage people to be safe, but also to um, care about the preservation of rights. So we put our mission statement on the back there. Okay. And then I just I brought the sponsorship perspectives to to share with you, and you know if anyone out there is interested in becoming a sponsoring partner, um, we'd love to have them. I also brought a tourniquet again as a range safety officer. This is something that it's a great talking piece Mm -hmm. because we encourage people to be safe and to know how to uh, help in the situation where there might be a gunshot wound and of course there are other tools as well like a chest seal or gauze roll or things like that but a tourniquet is something that um, can really help to save a life because it helps someone from bleeding out so carrying this is um, I always have at least one tourniquet with me at least one yeah it's usually um, this is the one that I keep in my uh, car medical bag Mm -hmm. um, but I usually have one in my range bag as well and you know again like we're just yesterday there was uh, a mass murder incident and involving firearms and so it would just have been amazing if people had tourniquets right you know and even if you're not comfortable with carrying a firearm if you carry a personal medical kit, like including a tourniquet, you can make a difference to save lives too. And this is a little, this is just fun. This is a, um, this is the, the case for a 50 caliber round that was shot out of a, um, an M82, which is, it's a, I wondered, I'm like, why did you bring a, a Barrett, shell? What? Barrett 50 cal. And yeah. uh, I really, enjoyed, that was probably one of the most fun firearms that I've ever shot. Oh, so you got to, sh- you, got, you actually shot this. this yeah, is, I did. Wow. So what was that experience like? It was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, yes. The Joshua Prince, our firearms attorney has a machine gun shoot each year. And so that was just a little souvenir, even though it's a semi-auto is, um, just so much fun to i think i destroyed a pumpkin by shooting it um but my my point for bringing that is that it's the firearms community is great and there's a lot of um events where you can just go and have a good time with people and Mm -hmm. um it's a lot of fun to shoot a powerful firearm and to do it safely as well there you go right and to say don't judge a book by its cover right just because some people might be pro firearm it doesn't mean they're 
gun nuts that just, you know, want to go out and, and, you know, gun owners are responsible, I would say almost 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. And until you've experienced that and educated yourself and and got out there and, and went with, like you said, a buddy or somebody that has experience, you can't really be so judgmental because, you know, it is a great way to relieve stress, way to bond, way to meet new people, like you said, in in a community that really cares and wants to protect people. Yes. Um, you know, so I'm glad you, you brought those items with you. I want to yeah. say too, um, cause you know, just think about like we're in Pennsylvania right now. My friend, Tony Simon runs a great group called, um, the second is for everyone. And okay. he does like welcome nights for new shooters and they shoot at the heritage guild in Pennsylvania. And then they also shoot at the gun for hire range in New Jersey. And so, you know, again, like it's, it's just fun to, whether or not you've shot before, uh, to go and to learn in a safe environment, to mm-hmm. try out different firearms, see what fits best for your hands. I personally um, tend to carry Smith & Wessons because they that they ergonomically fit my hand pretty well. I like yeah. other things too, but that's usually my everyday carry. Um, and it's important to note that the Second Amendment, um, and the, well, it's a preserved by the Second Amendment, but um, our rights are diversely exercised. So people from all walks of life carry firearms, and have a right to defend themselves. And how can our listeners connect with you and follow along on your journey? Of course, holdmyguns.org is our website, and you can find us on social media, holdmyguns.org. Again, it's Instagram, Facebook, Telegram, uh, LinkedIn. There's a lot of more, like, I'm finding that people lately are are connecting more on LinkedIn. Um, first of all, because... <laughs> We are in the gun community. We get shadow banned a lot on what, like some of the more um, mainstream yeah. social media. LinkedIn is is mainstream too, but it's from a different perspective. It's a little bit more professional. And so the connections that we're making there are more, you know, how can we solve um, things going on in the world with a, a way that actually empowers people. So find us on there and um, please sign up for our newsletter. You can do that through that link in the bio. We're always looking for volunteers for new ffl partners uh, and for people who just want to give their gifts and talents to a really good cause perfect and i'll put the links to hold my guns in the show notes so that you know listeners can click on that and then learn more about you and your organization if they'd like to read more and and maybe even use your services so yes you're very welcome before we close out is there anything else you would like the listeners to know i encourage people that the community cares about them and that None of us know when we might be encountering a difficult situation or an unexpected move or whatever that might be. And so it's always important to practice personal responsibility, to do so in a purposeful way that you're planning ahead so that if you ever are in a time of crisis or personal need, that you can make informed decisions that are based on your values and not just a quick reaction. Sarah Joy Albrecht, founder and executive director of Hold My Guns on the American Grown Podcast in the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Austin. To see photos of today's guests and more content, just search American Grown Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, please direct message or email Austin at americangrownpod at gmail.com.